0: Welcome to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. It didn't exactly start out that way, however. Way back at our first episode, we were called Off the Wagon, and we intended to cover rather a wider variety of subjects. And sometimes we still do. Now, that first episode, still our most downloaded to this day, was about a man who believes some very strange things indeed, Mr Neil Breen, a Las Vegas-based independent filmmaker whose work really has to be seen to be believed. It's impossible to delve into the films of Neil Breen without grappling with ideas of delusion, narcissism and the function of independent film in society. For these reasons and more, we've decided to finally return to the subject of Breen for a closer examination of his 2018 film Twisted Pair, a movie that divided opinion bitterly among fans when it came out. We've finally reached our conclusions about whether Twisted Pair really means that Breen has become self-aware in his work, so join Ali and myself for a beer and a chat in this episode. Twisted Pair. Is Neil Breen self-aware? We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil.
1: Following closely behind this
0: car was this unidentified flying object. Can
1: you prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.
0: You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. I'm Keen. with me today is Mr. Ali Keane. Uh, we are talk. <laughs> we're doing a return to the subject of our very first episode, which was about the cult slash awful movies of one Mr. Neil Breen. Now, this is a podcast about strange beliefs, and I think that this fits into our subject in terms of, well, we're talking about a guy who has some very strange beliefs about himself, his own abilities, <laughs> his ability to make entertainment and really, we're we're talking about a sub-genre of sort of independent movies, which some have called ego exploitation. So that is a it's a term I've taken from a site called Bad Movie Bible, which I'll, I'll put a link to in the in the show notes. But I've taken some of my ideas um, from that, and I'll do a little reading from them because uh, they've really nailed some aspects of this. But uh, we're we're basically following up because our very first episode it was all about this fellow Neil Green, and we did we talk about all of his four first four movies in that episode? We did, yeah, we're, yeah, we did four movies, yeah. Now that was just before his fifth film, Twisted Pair, was about to come out. I think it was maybe the day before or two days before. It was a weekend in London, and you and I and some friends went to see his latest greatest film, Twisted Pair, in the the Prince Charles Cinema. Uh, that's it, yeah, Prince Charles. In Soho. In Leicester Square. Leicester Square, which, if you don't know, is a a cinema that does kind of cult films, uh, bad films. They market themselves as being the, the London home of The Room. So if you know nothing about bad movies, you've probably at least heard about The Room and Tommy Wiseau. So before, like the night we went to see that film... In a theater with hundreds of other people, which was an astonishing experience. we did our very first episode and we covered the weird history of this guy and all of his previous films. It is worth going back and taking a listen if uh, if you haven't or if you're not familiar with Mr. Neil Breen uh, if you are, don't worry we'll we'll explain. but basically, we never got around to talking about the film afterwards, did we? It's been a long time that was in, that was in 2018 october november oh, perhaps. was it, that long? it was yeah oh my god so what happened was it had been a little while been two years since his last film and in that time i think his kind of star amongst um cult film enthusiasts had risen somewhat and uh, there were there was a lot of excitement we'd been waiting for about nine months or a year maybe at that point do you remember we used to watch the trailer constantly we were really hyped yeah. up for it the trailer was absolutely crazy and we knew this was going to be a really, really out there film and we really couldn't wait. And we got to the cinema. We, we were having a cheeky can in the rain in the queue outside. Do you remember the line went all the way around the block, down the street? Oh, was it real? We were... just ast-
1: could not believe how many brainiacs were
0: in London. No, we were absolutely astonished. I We had no idea, really, how popular this guy was, you know? Outside of, yeah. you know, just a few internet forums that we we, we, we knew about. And then... We all got in and do you remember there was a huge delay and the film was about 45 minutes late and uh, this, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful cinema or theatre, it's a lovely place and there were hundreds, lovely, people, yeah. definitely a few hundred people there. Everybody was really excited, had another cheeky can inside in the seats and then the film itself was, um, I think we were torn by it and I remember yes. at least one of our party who... I mean, certainly wasn't a full-blown Briniac, but you know, was there was up 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 for the laugh? Had been talked into coming along, and just couldn't hack it, and walked out early. <laughs> so, um, I so we've we've just come into some new information recently. I don't want to mention what that is yet, Ali. But can you tell us uh, how we were feeling on that night when we came out? Well, okay. So I should say first, um, this will probably
1: it's going to include spoilers if you have not seen twisted Pear and you really need you don't know what happens no
0: <laughs> but it's, it's kind of difficult <laughs> to say that neil breen films can be spoiled because they're very there isn't really a plot and, and the plot plot there is makes absolutely no sense and
1: <laughs> it's it's true it's true yeah but you don't i guess give some kind of I, I, okay let's say um comedy spoilers away yeah, indeed, some but, surreal points. That, yeah, uh, you know, might might be ruined. That if you you know if you weren't expecting it, it certainly is much funnier. Or indeed, what left us um, a little bit conflicted, or yes. strange, or estranged from his movies.
0: So I will say he's still one of my favourite, you know, um, slightly deluded filmmakers. And his films, up until at least Twisted Pair, are definitely worth a watch. And I do recommend you checking them out. However, one of the reasons why we're not talking about this until a couple of years later, is that they're quite difficult to get a hold of. Um, they are, yes. Or when you can, they're very expensive. So it took us a while before we were in a position to talk about it. But yeah, let's go back to that night, Ali. So we were all amped up. We were ready for this. We were ready to love it. But we came out of it feeling feeling a bit strange.
1: Yes, there is. I think we should talk about that scene. That's what we should just, just get, well, get that scene be, out of the Before
0: we get specific, just how, what were we...
1: I think that we were um, we were disappointed that perhaps in his fifth movie he'd become self aware and was paying kind of doing doing some fan service in
0: the movie. Yeah, and it kind of like the absurdity of the
1: film up to that point was was really jaw dropping. Really was very jaw dropping. It's probably one of the worst movies made. Um, and we were like, "This is amazing! Oh my god, struck gold five times in a row! You know, that's bingo <laughs> right there!" and uh, uh, when we hit that scene we're like oh oh and the very last scene in the movie when he's you know that's in the trailer oh. <sighs> i'll be right here you think mm.
0: yeah and, and we've just
1: we, we just spend money and time to come and just yeah recognize he's now self-aware and yeah. suddenly it's no longer funny it's like oh, i'm in on the joke too guys uh when they're in the joke. It's not happening. It's, it's just, it just becomes under Samurai Cop 2 or Birdemic 2 or something like that. Yeah, so. so the classic
0: examples of, you know, these independent filmmakers who become self-aware and realise that they're making crap and people are enjoying it for being crap. People always look at Tommy Wiseau, who really only made one, like, unselfconscious film, which is The Room, and James Nien, who made Birdemic, which not everybody rates, but for me is one of the original holy trinity of kind of classic terrible movies. And then made Burdemic made 2 very much as a, a self-aware film where he's giving the audience things that he now thinks they want. So we all, and it yeah. wasn't just us, was it? Because we, we went back to the apartment and were looking online and, you know, there was a general, a general feeling from fans that some kind of shark had been jumped here and, and that maybe he was self-aware. So it was quite a this was a common thought amongst people who'd seen the film.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was depressing. I was, I was generally, I was actually genuinely gutted, you know.
0: Because we, we, Cause we uh, were loving it up until about halfway through.
1: And uh, then slowly yeah, you
0: know, it's the towards feeling... The end. It's, it's, it's towards the end. It's towards the end. You're in. right that, yeah. number one, there there was that one scene which, for you and a lot of other people seemed like a kind of a deal breaker it didn't affect me quite as much but there was a a gradual feeling that he's doing ridiculous stuff now for the sake of being ridiculous mm-hmm. rather than um rather than anything else rather than any natural um inclinations he may have had so
1: Re- recently my crisis of faith has been has been uh, averted
0: <laughs> though thankfully so we'll, we'll leave that till the end we're going to talk about the film first i think and and then we'll so we'll we'll talk through the film and we'll put out there what we were thinking at the time. You, dear listener, can um, decide for yourself how much of this you think might imply that he is being deliberate or self-aware. But then we'll we'll hit you at the end with this new information that we just got.
1: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that that makes sense.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna just to, to let people know if you don't what his deal is. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit from the bad movie bible. Right, this is just a paragraph that I I think really uh, sums it up. So he's talking about what he terms ego exploitation, which is when filmmakers are making movies to, to gratify themselves and literally for no other reason. So, right, so he, he says um, there is a particular type of them, he says, that afford us a horribly detailed glimpse into their psyche. <laughs> One with not the slightest concern either for audiences or cinematic conventions. And its poster boy is Neil Breen. Neil Breen's movies uh, eschew all familiar structure, scenarios and archetypes. They're one-way transitions, transmissions, sorry, projected straight from his subconscious onto screens that don't deserve it. Totally unfiltered by cinematic language, they wash over you in waves of egotistical absurdity. Neil Breen has claimed to be completely uninfluenced by other filmmakers and and he's clearly unfamiliar with how narrative and character work in normal movies." I believe he sees himself as an abstract artist, but if a filmmaker is going to go abstract, it's arguably even more important for them to understand film grammar. Neil Breen not only doesn't understand it; he believes he doesn't need it. In thinking he knows better, he is only giving audiences what he wants, not what they want. So I think that's pretty good. He he then goes on to yeah. say that he's he's a, maybe the best example of an ego exploitationist because his movies are the most selfish, the most inward-looking and the clearest manifestations of his unguarded subconscious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when that kid is walking along the street pretending, like, you know, in his head, his inner monologue is like, oh, you man, I could be Superman, I could be this, you know. It's like the... Oh, it was an old movie years ago, The the, the, the Secret
0: Lives of Walter Mitty. Yeah. In which, in his head, he was a secret agent and all that kind of stuff. I
1: think that's what Breen is, except he's put it out there in the world.
0: Yeah. So, Neil Breen is a a a man living in Las Vegas or somewhere outside Las Vegas in Nevada. He's now in his early 60s. He's been making films since, what, 2008?
1: 2000 and, yeah. So, uh, what was Double Down? Was that 2005?
0: Something like that. So kind of like early middle age. You know, he wasn't a young fellow, really, when he started making these films, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he his conception of himself is absolutely deluded because he's, he's a bit of a one-man band. He always stars in his own films. He always does his own directing and writing and production and music and everything and that's fine because you know he's just a one one guy who really loves making films and very often that is what you have to do when you are an independent filmmaker but he goes further because like all of his characters always have to be like the best and the smartest and the fastest and he's always he goes even further than that though he's not just like a superhero or a or like a secret agent who's better than everybody but in most of his roles he's also literally superhuman in that he's like some sort of space Jesus or he's been touched by a higher intelligence that makes him better than everybody else. (laughs) And he just he does all this Every movie. Yeah, yeah. So as we go through Twisted Pair*, we'll hit on some of his consistent themes that he always uses.
1: Okay. Let's start it off. Yeah. What,
0: what, what does it start off with? Uh, stock footage. Stock footage. <laughs> yeah. So, so tw- twisted pair is uh, double the Breen, So he's playing himself twice. He's playing two twins. <laughs> at first via some stock footage of children, and and then we get into one of the first Neil Breenisms, which is uh, like, like his sort of hokey New Age metaphysical stuff, which is always like really vague and muddy and half baked. But he basically says that. What, what does he even say he says like that they're they're contacted by some sort of hyper intelligence which then like steals them yeah, away and
1: yeah that's kind of whatever it was these weird aliens is i
0: mean he doesn't specify that tempered. it's aliens he's just like some sort of higher intelligence
1: you, at, you see that um that weird uh, kind of alien looking mask or mold
0: right at the end yeah at the start as oh, well do you, oh do they show yeah. it at the start too okay. he he's very yeah, vague in all of his films the sort of pseudo spiritual stuff is always really vague isn't it uh
1: so the yeah the, it's there with the hourglass that's what i took note of like it's supposed to be the higher intelligence right whatever they are higher intelligence aliens but they're monitoring the passage of time with
0: an hourglass but then like immediately he goes on about how they how him and the and the twin brother are like changed and improved by the aliens and it all sounds like sort of he he starts going into like talking about IT stuff. We were digitally changed and our DNA was like he's he's jumping between like physical stuff, spiritual stuff, uh, biological stuff. And and he just doesn't care. Like <laughs> he'll chuck all that into one sentence that makes absolutely no sense. And like all the storyline in this film just happens through like these voiceovers. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a, a lot of it. There's so much stock footage and voiceover on stock footage in this movie. I think this this is the most. This has got the most of any of his movies.
0: And if, it, if it sounds like we're yeah. being a bit wooly with the plot, it's because like the plot happens while he's just saying random words like artificial intelligence, programmable virtual digital reality. He's just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like he opened up an, an IT magazine from the 1990s. Programmable matter. <laughs> yeah, he just f- founds all these buzzwords like from. A, like a 90s IT magazine or a or a I don't know a cyberpunk novel and he just like says them out loud <laughs> it is bizarre there's more animal in, imagery in this movie again right it's not oh. a tiger this time
1: like it was in Double Down it's, a, no. it's an eagle oh, so you know? that, that... and you know he superimposes himself in all the all the stock footage right um, okay well most of the stock footage like in front of the building uh, or with the eagle that stock yeah, footage, yeah. There's, there's uh, he can't so... quite, he can't quite land, land himself on the eagle yeah. the stock footage. He seems to be rubbing the tree stump. Yeah, Whoa.
0: and I think oh, he's showing heck? the eagle because he's talking about how like he so, he sort of implies that they are androids or something. I don't know. It's not clear at all. He keeps he keeps calling them humanoids. <laughs> like which yeah implies that they're li- like they look like humans but they're not and then he superimposes like this robot thing behind him as if maybe he's supposed to... and then it like another robot takes its brain out and puts it into him
1: <laughs> no so what i think what i think is happening there right is uh that he is just watching it happen as it, he's watching the world that he's been taken to that's what i think that is
0: it's it's super vague i don't know
1: it It is vague. I'm trying to... I think what, what might be beneficial to do is, like, to put ourselves as much as we can for those shots into Breen's shoes as much as a normal, rational human being can do so. And upon my second watching, but third time watching that scene, that's what I got from it. I was like, yeah. if I were Neil Breen...
0: <laughs> I, I get the feeling he's leaning towards like the sort of George Lucas ultra-terrestrials rather than just aliens, because... I, but he's always been like that you know those those concepts are always fluid to him he doesn't like to uh-huh. be specific with that stuff he doesn't like to be specific with anything as we'll see um, but basically some some force from the universe that's you know better than us has plucked him and the brother and taken them away and changed them and made them into like superheroes kind of and then but
1: he says like I miss what I never knew even though I like, my brother
0: yeah but oh. like they didn't get he knows him he, he knew him until they were about like 59 <laughs> like we see them standing together um you know at neil breen's current age and he's playing both of them and he's you know in his late 50s so you haven't seen him for long enough <laughs> so anyway it's it's implied that the brother went turned evil and like has left him and he doesn't know where he is whereas he our main character neil breen is like what he's some kind of secret agent working for
1: not implied Really, what he is doing? Um, he is supposed—I think—he's a secret agent, but he's a secret agent that has been augmented.
0: Yeah, he's got all these superpowers. But like at the, at first, they kind of said that you know he was changed so that he could you know be a force for good on behalf of these you know super entities. But but then it's, he's working for some Earth organization, and I don't know who it's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be the government or? Anyway, he basically he gets missions off a woman who's like the worst actor in the whole thing. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, no, I think they're all,
1: that boardroom scene, that boardroom scene. Oh is,
0: my days.
1: Is, is it, that's supposed to be the Department of Homeland Security and, and all that kind of stuff in the room like, yeah. Oh, who knows what? And, and they just keep be. on saying programmable
0: manner. They're all just they're all just saying <laughs> words and it means nothing. Anyway, he's he's doing missions for some organization to stop evil. And it's all super vague as usual. But it's my favourite scene when, like... Do you think he's supposed to be in Iraq or something? Where he's going through this, like, run-down building oh. with these soldiers. And they're, like, American soldiers in Kevlar and camo. And... Yeah, maybe. Like, fake explosions oh, are going... Know. Like, terrible after-effects explosions are going on around them. And he's, like...
1: Oh, it, didn't look, it didn't look very Iraqi, did it? Well, like, that, he that, that, didn't... That whole...
0: No, but, like, where are they supposed to be? <laughs> look, look,
1: right in front of the building. Right before he goes in rescue the soldiers, there's this is person kind of wambling past him, and he's like,
0: "Hello, Good morning. <laughs> yes. Have
1: a nice day. Yeah. I'm on a secret mission. Like, yeah, Good morning. Have a nice day." <laughs> and he
0: does when well, yeah, he's in some kind of war zone, right? But he does all this while wearing like his jeans and his nice shirt, because you know, <laughs> why why dress up for military a- adventures? And then he he goes into the building where these like camo soldiers are, and he says, "Don't worry, I'll protect you." And then he freezes time. Or at least he he freezes them because, like, the sound of the explosions continue around them. So it's like, oh, Oh, right, so maybe he hasn't frozen time. Either he intended it to be frozen time, but he forgot about the sound, or he intended that he only froze the soldiers, in which case, well, they're still surrounded by fire and explosions, so that's terrible. (laughs) And then he, like, (laughs) he, he makes them stay still for a while as, like, explosions go on around them until he can walk to the front of them and then be like, right, follow me out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, and also there's another building he goes into then while well, that other building was exploding behind him and the, the same sound effects are going off in the background
0: oh again, he has one sound for explosions and he has one yep. visual for explosions and you will get to see and hear them plenty in this and all of this he,
1: um, all goes of into his... the jet right yeah goes into the jet and the jet's just a photograph It's just superimposed <laughs> on top of that yeah and then he superposes someone on top of him. So he freezes himself in the photograph and then someone else comes in because he couldn't figure out for whatever reason those two actors could not be in the same bit at the same time, I guess, because it's superimposed, isn't it? So if you watch the movie, he's just frozen. He's not even breathing or anything when that woman comes onto the plane.
0: But everything the is star. everything in the whole film is superimposed because he's incredibly lazy. So in all his other four films, every single interior location, whether it's supposed to be someone's house or a hospital or anything else, or you know a business uh, meeting room it's always just his own house in in Las Vegas yeah. and um anytime there's a street scene it's the, the 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 space immediately outside the front of his house and like we know what his house looks like on the inside and the outside so you can tell that he hasn't even walked down the street like to film those shots so <laughs> this time he gets around that by like after four films of only shooting in his house um and occasionally in the desert around his house this time he's like spread his wings and gone further by, like having every single shot be fake green screened, like he's walking down the street, but he can't film someone actually walking down the street. Every it's green screened, and
1: oh well, he's also got the Nevada State Campus.
0: Yeah, so the rest of the film all happens on around around the grounds of uh, uh, yeah like this university, and it's it's really eerie that like he only ever shoots there at night when it's completely deserted. It it gives the whole film like yeah. this weird lonely vibe. You know when he meets the woman and, and he says to her like, "Oh, meet me at 8 and it's like dark already, and you're like, "What what time yeah. is it now?" <laughs> yeah, <what time?
1: laughs> oh, do you want to know something that I um I clicked onto when I watched the movie? Um, Anything? Do you remember in the Get away from scene, there's one really well lit guy. <laughs> remember that in the boardroom scene. There's what, just one really well-lit
0: guy. He does weird extra, things with lighting the in the Department whole film. Yeah. All security. Yeah. Uh, right, but that that guy also plays the bum. Same actor. Oh, of course, yeah. 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 Saved uh, a bit of money he, there.
1: He reuses, actors. he reuses actors all the time anyway. We've seen, we've seen this before. But he reuses them the most in this movie. Yeah. There's, like, a bunch of them playing different, like, all different parts. But that was one... So it, it took me three watches of that scene before I twigged onto it, by the way.
0: So he's doing all these missions for this organization and he's kind of like a sort of a james bond character because he wears a sports blazer jacket and carries a gun and even though he doesn't dress like that when he's on the mission anyway and he he can he can like freeze time and he can jump really far which is done with like you know did when you're a kid and you you, like mess around with photoshop (laughs) it's like that in in 1995 (laughs) it's like that level Anyway, he he comes back to the he comes back to the to the woman who's like his boss and she says, "Oh, you're so awesome. Why don't you take a holiday?" And he's like, "No, I don't need to." And then she says, "Oh, yeah, I forgot. You're special. You you don't need to take holidays." It sounds like she's being sarcastic cuz she's such a bad actor, but like he clearly means it to be serious that he is that just such a badass that he he doesn't even take holidays. Yeah, yeah. Like, the you know the way normally in films when the, like the the main character he's an action hero is a bit of a badass and he might you know imagine yeah. imagine how Seagal would play that scene right because he's also an egomaniac and he would write himself a scene like that you'd have the boss being like. Seagal, you you've gotta take him you've gotta take yourself some time off. he would be like, sorry chief, the bad guys don't stop, so I don't stop. And he you know he he, <laughs> yeah. he he try and put some grit into it, whereas Neil Breen is more like, he's just so lazy, the way he delivers all his dialogue is so flat, she's like, I think you should have a holiday and he's just kinda of like, hmm scratches himself, Huh, hmm, no. No, I don't think so
1: <laughs> <laughs> At least like uh, Seagal would come up with some kind of quip, you know?
0: No, Green uh, is chief, so uh, all well, his dialogue uh, well, is so slow and it's like he really can't be bothered whereas he obviously can be bothered he put loads of effort into making the whole thing from start to finish which I admire but his his method of delivery is is incredibly sleepy and deadpan.
1: No, absolutely. His his acting is like inhuman.
0: Yeah. So then like she sends him on another mission or whatever but he he meets the introduction of the the love interest is what did what did you think was going on with that that was hugely confusing confusing I, I i think that they have always been a couple they just couldn't show it in
1: public for whatever reason this is what i got because when they filmed the scene like the scenes later on when they're working in the same building um they're like oh we can work together now this is great so i think they've worked for different agencies before so they couldn't be seen in public just in case that's what i think's gone on
0: yeah, yeah. i mean we're we're having to guess a lot here because it, it a lot of things are not clear, but this this scene is downright or this plot line is downright misleading because he first meets her like apparently as a randomer on the street and there's a horrible, horrible, cringy scene where he bumps into her her. and then tries to Oh yeah sorry yeah, yeah and then tries to um like apologize and like immediately hits on her and is like, Come on, let me take you out for a drink and she's like, No thanks And then he follows her and like, Yeah, I'll be here. Come on, I'll meet you here at eight and then he like comes back and she's not there and then he like follows her home and all this really creepy stuff do you remember in the in the cinema the audience were like hooting and hollering at him they were like don't do it Neil don't be a creep <laughs> <laughs> and then he like yeah. <laughs> in the house with nobody else around you know he comes in and she's all shocked and surprised and then he attacks her and like says various nasty things to her and then actually you know it's all a joke and they're together what? <laughs>
1: Understand that whatsoever. It must be some kind of role play. Maybe they're like role play. I, I don't
0: know. I know, but I it's never know. explained, is it?
1: It's never explained. No. Just like everything else in this fucking movie.
0: <laughs> so then the the other plot line is the the evil brother, who seems to spend most of his time at this point just like sitting around in a dirty empty building with his hood up, looking like a grumpy teenager, until he goes into. <laughs> I don't know where it's supposed to be it's clearly just another part of the college campus and like just holds up a bunch of random fellas and you like you eventually find out that they're quote unquote corporate businessmen that's right yeah <laughs> but like it's it's a good long time before the film bothers to tell us this I think we're just supposed to infer it because they're wearing suits and one of Neil Breen's hang ups is all people in business and cor- corporations are evil and de- deserve to be killed <laughs>
1: Uh, one guy's got a tape moustache. You, know, you see the tape a mile away on that guy's moustache. Yeah. With the glue, whatever is put in all yeah. yeah. place. It's, it's great. It's, it's proper cringe.
0: And, and Breen's evil brother is just him wearing the most awful beard. It was the <laughs> fakest thing. He's, like, it was one of the things I think that had people saying, this must be a spoof now. That's how bad it is. Yeah. Like, even Breen wouldn't try and pass this off and think this was real. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> well and yet and yet the, the bad Breen, who is supposed to be evil and um like I, I think the, the key theme here is supposed to be that the two of them have decided to deal with the world's problems in different ways and the evil brother That's right like, uses violence to, to kill bad people and punish them. But, like, that is 100% in line with Breen's uh, philosophy in all of his other films, where he literally murders, <laughs> like, <laughs> he literally yeah, does genocide <laughs> in Pass Through. <laughs> he
1: kills, like, half the planet or some shit like that, doesn't he? Or yeah. 50 million people or whatever it was, uh, to get rid of all the bad, yeah, bad so people. The, the uh, ba- but I think, yeah, he's, he, he's a company man, and his brother... Is uh vigilante.
0: Yeah, vigilante. They refer to him as that a few times. So he takes these three businessmen to like, like this kind of Dexter type room where he's like covered the whole place in like plastic bags with fake blood on them, and yeah, he ties up, yeah. he ties them up with like these chains that look like they're made out of paper clips and. <laughs> <laughs> And he, at first, they're like, "You can't do this to us. We're respectable citizens." And he's like, "No, you're evil corporate types." And then they immediately just like, admit. All, up. Yeah, they. Up. <laughs> oh, oh! What about all those politicians we bribed? What about all the money we embezzled from those charities?
1: <laughs> and the CEOs we had assassinated. <laughs> that was just one of, straight up, like,
0: yeah, that was one of my favorite bits in the film. So he just keeps them in this room, like, and he tortures them by just, like, shooting them in the shoulder endlessly with these, like, fake after-effects <laughs> shots. And I remember in the cinema, every time it cuts back to this room, like, the audience groaned because it goes on for so long.
1: <laughs> I love the way he says, like, to them, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. While well, he's pointing a gun at all of them, <laughs> he shoots them anyway.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Right. Does What happens then? I can't remember.
1: Um, so th- after that um, it shows Cade and uh, Alana his girlfriend meeting in group study 6 what should I say the agency <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so group study 6 is um, one of the secret rooms that, for, that the agency have uh, and they do a bit of canoodling um, pretend that they bring all professional get into the elevator while doing some more canoodling it's proper grim and then the detective comes in. The detective is like, oh, yeah, they, I heard there was, they, these corporate businessmen were kidnapped by a guy with a hoodie. <laughs> white collar crime. <laughs> these white collar criminals. <laughs> it doesn't really seem that fuss, yeah?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, if you know me, you'll know that I will rant at the top, at the drop of a hat about uh, evil corporations and white collar crime and all that sort of thing. But, the way Breen introduces these topics is so simplistic and childish. He literally just has the bad guy say, we're evil corporations, we do bad stuff. And then he's like, you shouldn't do those bad things, I'm going to stop you. It's, it's as simplistic as that, like that is not even an exaggeration. So it's just, it's just laughable, isn't
1: it? Did you like the way in like the deep learning neural network, when he's saying that, it's just scanning the computer lab, in a university yeah. he clearly be like the full basement.
0: <laughs> he clearly thinks that you know rooms full of computer screens suggests you know corporate headquarters when it like instead of just a lab in a computer a computer lab in, in a university
1: I know yeah <laughs> and it's like there's Windows 7 on the computer yeah. I don't know, that deep learning neural network <laughs> oh. anyway that. That was the next scene after the detective rants on about his the white collar criminals, and I guess he has to
0: be. Uh, does and then you know, do, so then the, the the actual mission that he's on, like the main antagonist in the film, besides the evil brother, is introduced like apropos of absolutely nothing. I don't even think he gets sent on this mission by the woman, does he? He just starts talking. Well, there is that scene at the beginning where, like,
1: oh yeah, he, I think she does. I think she sends him the
0: mission. All the all the people, as you said, in the in the. I don't know if they're supposed to be the government or what, but they they just say things like, "There's the the biggest corporate hacking scandal ever is coming," and terrorism. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So later on, like a good while after that, Neil Green decides to pick up on this plot line, and he just says, "I've got to stop the Coos Empire," and the Coos <laughs> Coos is this guy. How would you describe him? He he looks like an eighties like a camp eighties disco queen kind of with with deep throat the deep throat voice yeah he has some effect on his voice that makes him impossible to understand but he's only in it for like two seconds ever so he's like Uh,
1: so I think he appears in it like three times but there's a different actor playing him I know
0: yeah the The second time he appears he's played by a much older fatter guy But then it goes it's back. Not it goes weird back though. to the he reuses his actors. It goes he back to the first. The time. <laughs> but you can tell they shot certain footage on certain days because it goes back to the first actor later on when he's sitting in the same part of the house. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah. this guy coos. I don't know. Do we we ever find out what he he's just a bad guy, who has a criminal a who has an empire and wants to. Oh man, his plan is so vague. It's like he's going to corrupt. This he's going to do a cyber terrorism attack by breaking down humans, n- things that people need or something really vague. <laughs> and to stop this means that Neil Breen has to go and like blow places up that have lots of pipes in them because that's key to his operation. That's... <laughs> li- <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to visit Mr. Coos and visits him in this like nice Las Vegas suburb and rings his doorbell. And then like he comes in and Coos is sitting like outside his swimming pool in the dark that yeah. is when he's not sitting at a table because you would like when he's not sitting at a table with weird cat ornaments on it that move around by themselves sometimes and sticking his hand into a bowl full of fake diamonds
1: <laughs> and holding that fake diamonds like an evil cat <laughs> or like a cat like you know the way the bad guys used to stroke it whatever yeah. it was Blofeld would have the cat yeah, he stroke it but this guy's like stroking his diamonds
0: definitely a sort of a Bond villain vibe that he's going for here but, like, yeah. nothing is ever explained. We don't know who this guy is or what his deal is, except that he's bad and Neil Breen has to stop him. And his assistant is, like, a magic fairy woman who's, yeah, what the like, what the some kind of about? Las Vegas showgirl who Neil Breen hired out for a day and wears, <laughs> like, those fake, you know, those wings that, like, little girls wear when they want to be fairies that like, you can get in, like, Primark for <laughs> a fiver, you know? But she's, like, apparently actually magic because she can appear and disappear and stuff.
1: Anyway... They show you scenes from different movies. Yeah, well, uh, mean,
0: yeah. <laughs> So we first see her, and she's supposedly Mr. Coos's assistant or something. But then she shows up later in a different context that makes no sense anyway. So he it doesn't goes... doesn't make any sense in the first place. Oh, they sent... Oh, I remember now. They sent him in pretending to be an art dealer, and he's going to buy some paintings right. off Mr. Coos. And then he's looking yeah. at... the. In the don't get me started on that painting. Like, what the hell was that about? But
1: <laughs> I think he was trying to show off that look. He he could do something cool because I was like, "Oh, the painting looks pretty cool." Whatever that person done.
0: Well, it you know, was. It's like a 3D... uh, three D. Yeah, like the painting is more like a TV screen with a three D thing on it, and then he that's, just that's
1: probably the most the, 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 like the most. Uh, uh, I...
0: Not the technical, but the most advanced form of filmmaking that he's done so far is to put that within the painting that they're holding. You know, in his editing, that's the most advanced thing And it doesn't look as bad as his other green screening. No. So then he, so he's been given this alibi to go in as an art dealer, but then like after about 10 minutes, he just like straight up says to Mr. Coos, so tell me about the evil plan to destroy the world. (laughs) I need to know about that. And then he doesn't wait for Mr. Coos to say anything and he just walks out the door. (laughs) <laughs> like
1: Green new, man Green just new.
0: But yeah anyway so but then there's, there's bits later in the film where he forgets about this plot line and then just twice he, he just picks it up out of nowhere and starts saying like oh uh, yeah I have to stop Mr. Coos I'm putting an end to this now <laughs> but then he forgets it again and then he brings it back up again because he keeps getting distracted <laughs> by like the other plot lines or he bumps into his twin brother once in a while but doesn't really seem that surprised about it like they don't really have a conversation of oh where have you been all this time or what are you doing he just shows up and kind of talks to him like what are you doing with yourself and then (laughs) (laughs) so the evil brother when he isn't torturing corporate businessmen in the Dexter room he's like living in a squat with this woman and fighting over drugs with her
1: drugs yeah Mm -hmm. that's right never understood that their, their their fights are so chronically awkward to watch
0: yeah it's really bad you know the bit where he like shoves her and she like slowly falls off the bed
1: <laughs> yeah yeah what the what the hell and that was after he'd given her such a fake like early WWF slap yeah
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like and he totally
1: missed as well <laughs> so he tried it again and he put in the sound effect for the second slap but he didn't put it in for the first one <laughs> so it's, it's super awkward
0: to watch <laughs> well he only had the one sound so he didn't want to he didn't want to blow his watch too early <laughs> But the other the other <laughs> subplot that's interfering with this is like the girlfriend, Alana. Uh, oh, God. so so she catches him talking to a woman on the street, and she thinks that he's paying her off, like as a prostitute, I guess, because she's someone who knew the evil brother, and she thinks that Neil Breen is the brother. So she says to him like. It's you. Where have you been? You shaved. And then he hilariously he says, I never had a beard. And, like, he totally overreacts with that weird line. I never had a beard. And then he, he realizes, oh, you're someone who knew my evil brother. And then he just says to her, here's some money. Go and find something better to do. I suppose you're supposed to think she's a prostitute or something. But... She's not the
1: same actress as was in the...
0: No, era, she's in in not... No, scenes. so she's not She's not the girlfriend who was with him in the Scuzzy flat. So I have no idea who she's supposed to be. Is she supposed to be the same woman? Or is she just someone else from his past? We don't know. But the, the girlfriend shows up as he's given this woman some money and she thinks, oh no, he's paying a prostitute. And then she immediately goes off and prostitutes herself to some randomers. Like...
1: Uh, she becomes the she becomes the, the work for the other side. Oh, technology. is
0: that what that was? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that
1: I. So they follow, they follow him.
0: because uh, yeah,
1: this randomer and he's like he his... just keeps shouting at this guy, "You betrayed me!"
0: Oh yeah, because she's getting money off random dudes. Like, and I thought I thought that they were trying to imply that she was being a prostitute. Okay, right, that makes more sense. That's why she pulls. That's why she pulls the, the, the gun. Yeah, no, I just... I thought that was just coming out of nowhere because Neil Breen doesn't know how to write a script. But, OK, that makes a no, little I bit... No, I think that she, she
1: she is so betrayed by him giving books to the former girlfriend of Kale that she switches sides. OK. That's what I've gotten from
0: but Yeah, it. that makes more sense than what I thought. So I'll give Neil Breen props for that. I'll tell you what, I'll also give him props for the scene where he takes the girlfriend... <laughs> onto this <laughs> oh, no. ...onto this place, which is clearly, like... You know, like uh, in the middle of the campus where they had the the silver chairs out, like just for sitting around on the outside. And he goes, I've booked the whole restaurant for you. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, but you know what he says there? I think he that that's uh, that's one part where I think he he recognizes that he he can't get away with it because he says, oh, the service is impeccable.
0: The food is amazing. But the service is friggin' invisible. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh,
1: oh, oh.
0: That's what he's saying there. Yeah, so it's service, a joke. It's yeah. just friggin' invisible. So I'll, yeah. I'll give him that. The first time I saw it, I didn't pick up on that, and I thought he was actually trying to pass it off as, like, a restaurant. But, no, he makes a joke out of it. And, so. then, and then he
1: goes straight back into, he goes straight back into like, weirdness, where it's like, oh, I got your present, here's a candle.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, and he
1: lights it. And she says, yeah, eternal and always. I'm like, no, the candle <laughs> has a wick. That's not eternal, <laughs> it's not infinite. <laughs> you know, look yeah. at this wind yeah it's going to be out in five
0: minutes <laughs> and then he goes on his mission to like take down the Kuz empire and it's all well it's him walking around this campus basically going into um, computer same labs campus yeah and the baddies here's are... the
1: weird thing about that here's the weird thing about that campus right when I picked up on it when he's walking across the campus do you remember you just hear some voiceover during it yeah yeah That's the same voiceover. That was that. That's the same uh, dialogue that's been spoken at the boardroom at the start of the movie, where it's like Homeland Security, we're ready. Programmable matter. (laughs) Yeah, that that's what's being said when he's walking across. Either he uses. Is that
0: when he's in the lab? He's in the like the biology lab with the.
1: Just before he goes over there, when he's walking across the quad area, I guess of um, the Nevada State College. Um, and he's like, this is their centre of operations. I'm like, didn't you come out of that building when you received the mission?
0: Yeah, yeah, same that, building, like, yeah. To,
1: to, to go down the brain Tunnel of Weirdness, does that mean he's a double agent? You know?
0: No, um, it just means he films everything in the same place.
1: All right, well, but the, the, that is the... Uh,
0: same dialogue, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The overdub,
1: yeah. Yeah, same dialogue. So that's, that's what we think, like, well...
0: Anyway. Could it be, could it
1: be? he's thinking actually you know i'm going to be the double agent
0: so the goons of your man koos are all these like men in black types who wear black suits yes. and black hats and i don't know do you think he's implying that they're like androids cuz he passes by a bunch of them like sitting down in these booths as if they're like plugged in or recharging or something
1: and just beforehand they're wearing those vr headsets in the computer lab <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which, in Green World, doesn't mean that they're just sitting down doing VR games. It means, obviously, they're, like, cyborgs or something. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Oh, the cyborg men in black.
0: So there's a really weird edit where he, he, like, slowly sneaks past these men in black as they're, you know, recharging or whatever. And then it cuts immediately to him just sitting down having chat with Kuz, surrounded by agents. Yes. And yeah. uh, he just, like, he, he shouts at Coos the way... Like a teacher would shout at a bad kid, "You won't get away with this!" And then they all just all the baddies just disappear, and then he just walks out again. And I have no idea what that means. And then Coos is never uh, in yeah, it. Yeah, same. He's never in it again, is he?
1: He is at the end.
0: Oh right, I might have zoned out.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's in it again. So it goes back to the first actor playing Coos at the end <laughs> when he's when he's listening on the phone to all his pipeline being blown up. Remember?
0: Yeah, so Neil Breen then has to go and blow up. It's clearly like some sort of industrial building with loads of pipes and he he's he's uh, green-screened onto it, like flying around the place and setting explosions that are all the same explosion. And then he like runs out of the building as it blows up behind him and it looks amazing.
1: A couple of things that we forgot to talk about going, going this far in the movie, you're trying to go like chronologically, right? There's the detective scene, he's speaking to another detective, who's been played by one of the corporate businessmen who's also wearing a plastic moustache, right? <laughs> never, It's never understood why that guy is there, um, given him uh, the information, but uh, for whatever reason, whatever reason he, he's there. Um, <clears throat> There was another one, uh, another bit of the movie, which I found bizarre, when himself and his girlfriend are just outside saying, oh, you know, I... Love you, I adore you so much. And there's two moons.
0: Yeah, there's yeah. two moons
1: out there. What's what that is about? that about?
0: Yeah, yeah. Never explained. Don't understand that. I feel like right? he just found some effect on After Effects, and he just liked it, and he just put it in there.
1: I think it confirms that he li- he just is from a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> With well,
0: well, uh, yeah. But then you'd have to. That's possible, but you'd have to presume that. It's not really there. He's just like thinking about it, or you know, he's 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 reflecting on something from his past. Because he's not he's not on the other planet when he's with her.
1: I just mean to say that he's from another planet in real life, in general. That's what I All think. All right. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> uh, the man in black walking around the place.
0: Yeah. yeah. Never right. explained. So the man in black goes to.
1: Kales, the, the the twin brother, it goes to his flat where the girlfriend was and she's got a black eye. yeah, And it's this weird kind of uh, red effects all, all around him. And it's this like room 23 door.
0: Do you remember? Yeah. And she opens it up. And it just goes into some random stock footage to invite
1: this person in. And it, it's never explained who that person is, right? And that's the, that's like the umpteenth time in his fucking movies, where there's a man in black... Um, an ominous um, uh, like omnipotent uh, um, presence just always there
0: he's done that before he does it a lot in Fateful Findings, Fateful Findings. where there's yeah. this mysterious is it a person wearing a suit I think it might be like they're dressed like a government agent but yeah. they they can We're appear it, and disappear and there's something mystical yeah. about them and it's never really explained yeah, yeah. god I love Fateful yeah, Findings it, it,
1: the best one of them. That's
0: the best one. Of oh, so much movies, better. I think. So much better than this. Yeah, it's.
1: Uh, I mean, there's just failures of filmmaking in both, of course, which are hilarious. But uh, at least we knew that one wasn't self-aware. Somehow, like, some,
0: well, I don't. Somehow, the balance is better in fateful Findings*, isn't it? It's more. Uh, yeah. It's more enjoyable. Kind of throughout. It's I, more quotable.
1: It's more yeah. quotable. Like it, it keeps your attention. I think.
0: Are there any this
1: other is in his voice.
0: are there any other bits uh, in it that you want to mention before we get to the end of it?
1: Uh the shit, the shitty chase scene. Remember that one? The detective just uh scarpers after his brother? <laughs> but it just kind of feels like they're in um one of those baby walkers. That's how it looks like they're running really after each other.
0: It's, yeah. It's
1: embarrassing to watch. Yeah. Uh that's taken us up to, I think, really the the bit
0: where we are at the the coozes. Pipes exploding, and he's on the phone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, it goes straight back to stock footage. That goddamn eagle comes back, and he still can't get the super in under you Because right? it's, it's the you same know?
0: shot. It's the exact same shot. It except, is the same shot, yeah, 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 you're dead right. Except with uh, even less context. context. Remember that? Sorry?
1: Uh, the fireplace scene? When he's, uh, yeah, he's again, he's re- re- he's
0: reusing old shots again, like, so they, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, they, like, they, yeah, yeah, I remember that. She's wearing a wig, do you think,
1: in that scene? She is 100% wearing a wig in that scene.
0: I, d- I didn't notice,
1: it's crazy. It looks like they borrowed it from Samurai Cop uh, set.
0: That's weird because, like, bad. it's not like she had really short hair at any point, and I guarantee you, the whole thing was filmed in a couple of days, so
1: whatever reason you know you just watch watch that scene again right just looks totally way what about the bum and the fake rat
0: oh that's hilarious yeah fuck (laughs) he he spends like he spends inexplicable amounts of time on these little things like the bum is completely incidental to the story he's in the background during the scene when he first meets his love interest but like he spends an inordinate amount of time focusing on him and talking to him and he's feeding a Fake plastic and obviously fake plastic rat. Just why does the film focus on this? No and the man in black. Yeah, the man in black. The like man in black shows up. Shows up. Yeah, I think that's just to show that you know they're, him in the leg. they're following him or something. Who knows?
1: Do you remember the, the the man in black shows up, stabs him in the leg, and then pulls the knife out yeah. and walks away? And you can see that there's a book in that guy's pants. <laughs> right that was that was where the night went into uh, very bizarre it's extremely bizarre
0: so then uh, we've, we've, not, you... so,
1: not long after that we find out that the ex-girlfriend yeah um, or the girlfriend of Kate okay, is a traitor now right yeah and then he drops to his knees in epic t-bowing fashion <laughs> <laughs> best way to describe that
0: yeah and he shoots her
1: yeah they have a weird standoff don't
0: they yeah and then yeah and then it all gets very metaphysical again and he just starts yeah. saying like i want you know he's talking about like he wants to bring her back or something so he like he ascends to this like green screen shot i i suppose do you think it's supposed to represent you know the higher realm that he was in that he can go back to with with the with the beings and he meets her again somehow Maybe she didn't
1: um, kind of meet the. I don't know.
0: She wasn't good enough. She wasn't as good as he was.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. The moral percentage, or you know, uh, whatever. Yeah, because he didn't have to get there because she she sold him out.
0: Because that's a a key theme for Neil Breen. All his films are about. You know, if humanity is, if humanity's not good enough to make the grade, then it you know you die. You don't make it. You don't ascend. And really, only Neil Breen is good enough to ascend. Usually, and him,
1: him, and Kale both ascend because they both apologise to each other in this very fake, dodgy crying scene.
0: And whenever they're both um, in it together, they never. Obviously, it's 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 Neil Breen twice, so it's it's difficult to um to film yourself talking to someone who's not there and then have it match. But it's so bad; like they're never looking at each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he's not he's not gotten a guy to stand in for him. That's what that
0: is. There, yeah, and there's all. I I I think he does ninety percent of this stuff by himself. Honestly, yeah. I think he has a few jobbers that he hires when he absolutely needs them. But besides him and the main the main woman, like there's nobody who has more than a few minutes of dialogue in this. You know, well,
1: just before it gets a bit metaphysical, yeah. That that fairy comes back. Oh yeah, in some home cinema setting.
0: Which I think is his <laughs> I think that's his house I think he's pretty well off you know I think 100% he, Like his house is big and his house is nice and he's made money from from being an architect and clearly that allows him to fund his hobby but I do think that this home cinema is his house as well
1: Yeah he's that's not his only job right he's a realtor as well so he's got two, two jobs
0: Right So yes, the, yeah for some reason Cooz's fairy assistant comes And appears in his home cinema, which, oh, it's never explained whether it's supposed to be his house in the film, you know? Like, I think that is Neil Breen's real house, but, you know, in the film you don't just, oh yeah, by the way, here's my home cinema. Like, (laughs) you know, as far as the story is concerned, he's just in a cinema, somehow, with a fairy. And on the screen is playing the, the, the climax from... Pass through. Pass through. Pass through yeah. Which is the genocide scene. <laughs> which is where he, yes, he decides is. that, you know, the majority of humanity is not morally right enough for him. So everybody who he considers bad is going to be destroyed. And like, he's a, anyone who's a banker or a businessman or a government person or a reality TV star or a security guard, he's got a long list of people who he thinks deserve death. And then he kills them all and then magics all their bodies to, like, this giant pile of bodies in the desert outside Las Vegas and walks around them. And that's what we see <laughs> on the screen.
1: There's a weird there's a weird ripple effect just on his face, and I wonder, is that him trying to say
0: something? Probably not, though, to be
1: honest. Is it? So
0: this was... Th- not for me, but for you and for a lot of other people, this was the scene that made fans think w- he's doing some fan service here. Now, OK, he is doing fan service, but... I mean, that to me doesn't... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So what happens after the cinema yeah. scene?
1: That's when we get into the metaphysical stuff when him and Alana meet... Uh, him and the, the brother, um, they, they make up and they're crying and they say, sorry. Um, and then Alana shows up and she disappears. Uh, and then... Oh, what bloody ha- What well, happens?
0: Then he... Then he... um He lectures us. He's just talking to the audience. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah he lectures us. Indeed, he give, he yeah. Lectures he lectures us. us. Which that's he, the other
1: scene that made me start thinking because mm, it's the way he's looking
0: yeah, uh, but it's his like, eye lines. but come here, the lecturing here is a lot shorter than it is in all of his other films like it's it's mercifully short compared to pass through do you remember the bit <laughs> in pass through where he like hijacks all of the the news programs of the whole world and just yes. like sits behind Gosh. a desk and lectures you for like 20 minutes before he murders everybody <laughs> <laughs> This this one it sounds awful, th- <laughs> this lecture is mercifully short, and then he ends it by ripping off E.T. of all things, where he like says, "I'll be right oh, here," yeah, yeah. and points to his <laughs> heart, and like there's a magical glowing light there. Holy shit! It's it's so blatant. Like for for ninety nine percent of his filmmaking, he doesn't care about the grammar or the art or the 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 way that you tell a story in filmmaking, and it's clear that he, it's 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 as if he's never seen a film. Honestly, that's how weird it is. But just this one time, he like completely rips off a very well known scene from a very popular movie, and it's actually quite unlike him. It's not something he does. He does lots of.
1: Yeah, that's agreed.
0: And I think I think that's um, the, that's the end of it, isn't it? Oh, and then it says. Yeah. Cage will return.
1: Kate Altira will return. Yeah, like he's James yeah. Bond or something. Oh.
0: that's
1: been confirmed by him as well. Oh yes, he leaves. He leaves the uh, lecture hall. Remember that? Um, and his boss is standing there while he leaves. And instead of just cutting up the two different scenes, she's literally talking to him as he's walking away. <laughs> he needs to go for now, but he'll be back. We need him while he's walking away. And you're like, oh, super cringe. Like he can hear you. Like. Breen, why couldn't you just cut that? Make that a separate <laughs> scene. While, she, while he's walking away, she says this in an office to someone else. No, nope. she stands there at his seat or near it while he is walking away. Like, oh, he'll be back. We need him. Like, oh, what the
0: fuck! And and thus ends twisted pair. Now I oh. want to try a little something before we get into analysis. I, I've I've pulled up uh, Breen Bingo from Reddit. Uh-huh. So this is a a list of common common tropes in Breen's movies because he really is an auteur in that all of his films are, you know, him expressing uh, what he how he feels, what he wants, what he believes in. So the same themes tend to appear again and again in his films. So we're going to go through this quickly and we'll see which ones apply to uh, Twisted Pair and see is this a very typical Breen film or is it not? Yeah. Okay. So the first one: women not wearing bras. <laughs> in this movie. Nope. And that is something he does lots of in his other films. We haven't really touched on his <clears throat> his sort of questionable attitude towards women. Um mm-hmm. I think besides that creepy scene where they make out as if he's he's like, you know, following her and stalking her. Apart from that there's nothing too objectionable. Apart from the standard when he
1: when he shoots her when he shoots her he's just he keeps on like stroking her and you know she's dead and kissing her.
0: Well, I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but just the standard thing he does where like, he always casts like much younger women opposite him and they all, every, every woman in the film falls in love with him always. And There is an interview
1: that, um, I don't I'll get the link and link it on your podcast, on the podcast uh, to the leading actress, uh, I guess, uh, uh, from past through.
0: Yeah, oh um, yeah, yeah. When she
1: talks about her experiences.
0: Maybe it's worth uh, putting that in there. It is, yeah. So, so women who've worked on his films before have said that, have told stories that make it sound like he is a bit of a creep. And um, I found a video with the main actress from this film saying that he was he that she had a great time. Now, that film really? that that video, it's a very short video. It's only a minute or two. It's from the time when the film was just coming out, and I don't know that she's really much of an. I don't know that she had a like. He tends to work with. Whoever he can get a hold of around Las um, Las Vegas, so I don't sorry. This movie,
1: Twisted Pair.
0: Yeah, there's a very short video. Yeah, could you send that on to me? Yeah, there's a very short video of that woman just saying, "Hey, yeah, just wanted to have a chat. Um, just got done making Twisted Pair. We had a great time. Neil was a lot of fun. It's very bland. It's very short. Um, I, I don't know. I've no. I've no reason to say that it isn't truthful, but it did come out like right at the time the film was being still shown. So, who knows? Uh, but she is an actress. She's done another movie, okay, one or two movies uh, yeah, okay. in her horror.
1: So I'm to be.
0: But there are there are cases. I sometimes. I mean, it's hard to know. I get a vibe from a lot of the films that makes me uncomfortable. And the scenes he does, he does a lot of scenes with much younger actresses, and he makes them do nude scenes, and he makes them like canoodle with him a lot. Yeah, it's and messed they, up. They often look uncomfortable, but I mean, we don't know. Apart from that's weird. Apart from that one story about uh, Pass Through. <laughs> So, okay, next one is <laughs> Neil Breen cures cancer. <laughs> uh, no. No, not in this film, but it does happen in Twisted Pair. Yeah. No, it happens in um uh, oh, uh, Faithful... i I'm here now. I'm here now. Stock footage? Yeah. Uh, corrupt politicians? Yeah. Being righteously killed. Well, mentioned, mentioned. And righteously yeah. killed?
1: Righteously killed no, because they're only mentioned
0: What about the bank or the the corporate dudes? They're
1: Corporate businessmen without politicians.
0: Uh, speech condemning corrupt humanity? I would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fake blood with no actual injury? Yeah. Uh, Neil Breen getting blood on his face? Nope. Partially or completely nude, Neil Breen? <laughs> yes. When? Uh,
1: In 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 the bedroom scene.
0: Yeah, what okay, okay. Uh, Partially. Uh,
1: someone's there, I know someone
0: there. Actually, this, this film has a lot less, like... Side boob, you know, sitting on a, like, young woman, like, naked on his, lying down on his bed, which is something that happens in all of his other films. Uh,
1: yeah, that's right, Josh. It's just her back, you see, like, but, um, yeah. it's his, it's his side boob, you see, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> Hacking government secrets?
1: No. Nope.
0: Yeah, surprisingly not in this film. That's a big thing that, I think, you know what, I think he took a few things on board that people were making fun of him about, and that might have been one of them. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. Love interest much younger than Neil Breen? Yep. Yep. Abstract imagery that is never explained? Yep. Yep. Awkward sex scene. Uh, no. Not not really. I think she's nope. a better actress than some of the others they've had. I mean it's awkward in as much as I really don't like the him the idea of him writing <laughs> this stuff and casting himself and but whatever. It's yeah, it's, it, weird. <laughs> it's not there's there aren't any scenes in this where I felt like she was like uncomfortable. Bro- broken laptops? No. Nope. Yes. All computers working in the computer lab. Unnecessary or confusing subplot? Yep. Uh, e- MS Paint effects?
1: <laughs> MS Paint effects? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess we got to say yes, right?
0: <laughs> Plot revolving around Neil Breen being too good for this world? Does it technically say that? Um. Well, you, you were suggesting that, like... The Alana doesn't ascend because she's not good enough, but he does. So there's hmm. it's it's low key, but it's not as intense as it's not as obvious as it is in the other films.
1: so so does Kale though, so maybe the judges of this Yeah um, say like, well, he's delivered justice in a different way yeah. that might not be suitable to Earth standards, but suitable to our standard. <laughs>
0: so uh, it's de- depending, that that's debatable, I think. Yeah. And if it's not a straight yes,
1: I think it should be a, a no.
0: Okay. Drugs are bad moment? Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Neil Breen is the best at whatever he does? Yep. <laughs> yep. He's the best secret agent. Um, I, so I think this, you know, if you were to break it down into numbers, I think this is less of a, a Breen film than the others. Yes, it is, yeah. So yeah. That's because we got.
1: How many questions were there? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Out of 18. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. eleven
0: out of eighteen. Which eleven out of eighteen? I think any of his other films would have gotten seventy percent. I, I think reckon. Yeah, yeah. I, I think any of his other films would have gotten ninety or ninety five. Like those things are so yeah. consistent in the other films.
1: Yes, yeah. So this is the less brain uh, having seventy percent of the awfulness. So it's
0: less brain. <laughs> I I think right. We're. I don't know. We whether or not we're dealing with the situation where he's self aware and he's doing things. Bad, deliberately on purpose to be funny i think we're dealing with a a guy who who is later on in his career and um, no you know he's he's had some attention by now he's had his films screened in big cinemas around the world and he's read some of the criticism because i think he's he's still utterly gormless but he has altered a tiny bit what he's doing because of feedback in fact, do you oh, remember, do, you, know, we take the do you remember there was a video before this came out of him saying, I know what people say about me, this film is going to be different, there's not going to be any hacking. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right, he said that, his crowdfunding or something like that, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, for his crowdfund video. so like, he has taken some things on board, but... Before we
1: get into the analysis, I wanted to read you this, um, this really good uh, review I found of it, I thought you would enjoy it again. Yeah. Um. It's a publication called The and Yeah. I'll just read a small bit out of it, yeah. So, um, it says, as, as we agree, as you probably guessed, the film is technically terrible, right? The surreal editing makes the film almost incomprehensible. The soundtrack is pretty much stock trailer music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the special effects look straight out of some mid-90s straight-to-VHS movie, and the script is full of nonsensical dialogue amplified by the cast's wooden deliveries. Uh, while Twisted Pair fails on every level in being an action film with social commentary, it does succeed as an unintentional comedy. Breen's acting capabilities rival Tommy Wiseau's and how weird and inhuman they are. Watching him trying his best to emote sadness as he tries to persuade his brother, which is Breen with a cheap beard and hoodie, to turn himself into the cops is something to be witnessed, Perfect with a few friends and some drinks. There's also a sense of honest effort in the film, crappiness aside. You can feel that Breen tried his best to deliver a legitimately good movie, like a modern-day Ed Wood,
0: famous
1: (laughs) only for people roasting his past films, but still not giving up. Directors from other terrible films like Samurai Cop and Birdemic have tried to repeat the same magic, but they fail because it becomes self-aware and stop trying. In Breen's case, he has no idea how awful his films are, and his ignorance is our bliss. So I wanted to put that in there before we got into the analysis because that's what, you know, we're about to talk about that
0: now. Yeah. So I want a, to see if
1: you agree with all that or part of
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean he's he's the nice thing about him is he is genuine and he does care. And in some ways he's like naive and kind of lovable. But then the other side of the coin is his deep, deep, deep narcissism, which is is a very dark thing. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, he's a slightly cuddly, lovable, you know, deluded, middle-aged doofus. But on the other hand, he's like, he does really creepy things with women in his films and his ideas about, like, murdering vast numbers of people because he disagrees with them are also incredibly dark. So, uh, you know, I don't take him that lightly, if you like.
1: Do you reckon there's a sense of the honest effort in the film? Yeah. Again, what he's trying to say. He's trying to deliver social commentary
0: because... Uh,
1: He he just is so far removed from humanity. His, his, his like his acting.
0: His commentary is always staggeringly naive, but he 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 wholeheartedly means it.
1: I think so. So th- like this article, kind of where I sit now, given that what we found out recently about the scene that Sean passed through in the movie that kind of sh- rattled my faith, as it were. That. It, <laughs> You know, he wasn't self-aware anymore. Now now he's self-aware, you know, because no one, absolutely nobody, would show their own movie in their own movie, you know? So and there's no reason for doing it.
0: There isn't, except, uh, except for fan service. And I, he's doing that deliberately because, look, the difference between him making his first film and his fifth one is he knows there's an audience now and he knows who they are. And the fact that he's showing off a little bit to them doesn't necessarily tell me that he's in on the joke. You know, I think he's deeply, deeply in in cognitive dissonance. I think he's deeply in denial about how people enjoy his films. And I think he's, he's probably lying to himself on a very deep level. Uh, and I don't think he consciously accepts the way in which people are interacting with his films. But he knows that they are. So he's playing to the crowd a bit. But as we know, he has always insisted that yeah sure you can you can show my film but you are not going to treat it like a bad film you're not going to market it as a bad film and he's been he's always been deliberate about that he's not he's not like Tommy Wiseau who changed his description of the film to cash in because like Neil Breen like how much money can he possibly be making from this he's made his films very difficult to to see and to get a hold of he's keeps it tight he's kept a tight rein on them and I think he truly wants to have this feeling that he's an artist and what he's making is artistically legitimate. The, the one bit of right that I saw that I thought
1: that at, the, at the time, like maybe he'd become a bit more self-aware and even though he's trying to make these legitimate movies, he's trying to say something uh, and he's trying to figure out a way to say it, that he's getting a social commentary in there while also paying uh, fan service to the old fans who would have gotten in from Double Down is that double down and I'm here now is off the market can't get it anymore well legally yeah you can't buy anymore he's just taken off because maybe he knows like look those two were bad my last three films are actually really good at yeah uh, but I'll do this bit for them you know
0: that's yeah I I don't know I don't know I mean they're not honestly they're not noticeably worse (laughs) like if anything (laughs) I I I think I, I find them more entertaining he might yeah. personally feel that they're less polished but I'll tell you man he hasn't learned anything about filmmaking since then. <laughs> you know? Well, he he might have learned a few technical things but he hasn't learned anything about storytelling that he didn't know He's about.
1: learned how to superimpose himself. Yeah. Yeah. Into stock footage.
0: Yeah. Like his idea of like of reacting to the criticism that oh your films are always about you being super righteous and, and a superhero was to all right well i'll make a film where there's two of me and one of me is good and one of me is bad you know that's his concept of like getting a bit deeper into the theme broadening the theme perhaps all right so what what so, was it that we found out recently i think we should get to that
1: right so uh recently um uh, brain made a retrospective which is a five-hour documentary we haven't seen it yet we've seen the 10-minute uh both of us have seen the 10 minute uh, trailer uh, in which he goes into uh, not the development between, behind each movie, but how he's been able to produce and fund uh, and act in all these movies. And, and, you know, his his process of writing the screenplay uh, and getting to from the uh, an idea to whatever the fuck we're watching at the end. Um, he goes into that. We see a small bit of it in the trailer. That made me think, okay, maybe he's not actually that self-aware. And I uh, watched a Q&A um, in, filmed in France where there was a screening of Twisted Pair, which he attended. And he did a Q&A session afterwards, uh, an hour long. And he was reaffirming that he doesn't make midnight movies and that he wouldn't have allowed France to show it had it been a midnight movie.
0: But that's the anywhere. that's the only phrase he ever uses. He never says bad movie or anything worse. So like, I think it, well, he I, doesn't.
1: He doesn't believe that. Like with, <coughs> with the Q and A with this um with the retrospective, what he's saying is I'm learning all the time. Yeah, uh, I, I push myself more and more. And I think what we should take from that is he pushes himself more and more. And instead of perfecting, uh, perfecting it incrementally, he just decided to take goes leaps and bounds. Uh, above his capabilities
0: well he can't do the basic things he doesn't understand storytelling so but he's ignoring that and he thinks well if I keep doing what I do but I make it bigger and better and I have more sets or more locations and use more shitty effects then that's an improvement whereas he really doesn't understand the very basic fundamental stuff about telling a story that's his problem and but he's not interested in that he's not interested in addressing that because his whole filmmaking career is is uh, about stroking his own ego. So he couldn't possibly believe that, you know, he doesn't know how to do these basic things or he doesn't know how to tell a story, so.
1: Well, he keeps on saying, like, oh, my, my profitable films, you know. My films were profitable.
0: Well, they cost, like, 50, that. 50 quid to buy them. So, I mean, he must have made something from them.
1: That's right, yeah, $40. You want to buy that? I don't. Yeah, I can't ship it out. It was forty dollars. I don't think... No artwork work. No didn't, subtitles. Didn't it's not take a sharpie on a disc.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what you get for your money. Bloody hell! And they didn't take much to make, did they?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> well, they do take. They do take some money, of course. You know, but I think he's he's come uh, from a kind of Roger Corman. Uh, school of, of filmmaking which is guerrilla style just goes in there shoot what he needs to get doesn't get the permits and fucks off yeah, but
0: I don't think Roger Corman had any illusions about what he was making like he was a he was a grafter you know he he had to crank out three films a week you know and make them as cheaply as he could and he was a money guy he was a business guy he wasn't an artsy fartsy guy Neil Breen thinks that he is making art you know
1: could he be a money guy and an artsy-fartsy guy? Because right. we know, like, looking at Neil Breen's house, he, he obviously knows what he's doing with cash. He obviously knows, you know... He's, I think he's a smart guy with money.
0: Yeah, but do you think he's making a lot of money off his films?
1: I think if they are one cent, if he makes one cent over what he spent on it, then they were very technically profitable. Since he,
0: you know, yeah, well, if he if he wanted if he wanted to make lots of money out of it, he would do what Tommy Wiseau did and be, and just get on the bad movie train and just say, yeah, sure, they're all a bit silly, aren't they? And go around to the tours and the conventions and meet the fans and sign autographs. He could hundred percent do that, but I think his pride won't let him, and I think his self image of being an artist won't let him do that. So instead, he's doing the opposite. He's keeping a very tight leash on who shows the films, how they're presented, who you know, how you buy them, and he's just—it's—he obviously doesn't need the money. He's doing all right from his other career, so he's able to hold on to that belief in his artistic credibility.
1: I think that he's not self-aware based on that Q and A and the retrospective. I think that
0: he's not yeah I agree so I, 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 was, I was pleased to find this out and as you said I think I feel like we've got our faith back <laughs>
1: our faith back yeah,
0: yeah. Well. <laughs> we've become Bremiacs again yes so on, on that happy note I'll wrap things up because um, we're coming to the end of time Ali do you have any any uh, Creative projects you'd like to promote? Um, I know we're doing something. We're doing a music event online on Sunday.
1: On Sunday, yeah, Did yeah, yeah, I... we are. The um, we're doing a fundraiser for uh, Escape Bar West. Um, on May third, which is the um, the venue for this year's is Philanthropunks, which is um a show that I run once a year with um Dave, uh, Sober Dave, and Livy from Livestar Star Promotions. Um. We raise money for a West London charity called Glassdoor, and uh, we do this through just a weekend of punk rock, uh, and it's obviously important to have this bar open. I know, obviously, in our current climate, lots of bars are taking a hit, and everyone's doing their own fundraisers, so we're just putting our, putting our own toes in the water there, trying to keep this bar alive, so we've got a venue for this year's uh, charity gig.
0: Great, and we'll be doing a an online session for that on Sunday, so hopefully I'll get 12 the... O'clock. I'll, 12 o'clock. I'm going all day, really, isn't it? Yeah, so 10. Yeah. Wow, so a lot of acts playing, and yeah. um, hopefully I'll get this out before then, in which case I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can uh, check us out. It'll be on Facebook, uh, on the page for the Escape Bar event. Cool. Cool. Uh, anything else? Anything happening with the Scots Alley I should put a link to?
1: Uh, just released uh, the new album Net Profit. You know the follow-up to an album you were on, Kian, uh, a while back, Gross Profit. Um, it sounds pretty good. Um, sold a few copies. Uh, obviously, you know it's been hindered a little bit because um, we've had to cancel our album on show, but it will be coming back. So I'll let you know when that's happening. And uh, let like the internet no know it's happening. But yeah, it's, uh, if you want to listen to the album, uh, go to Bandcamp. Uh, or Spotify or iTunes or Amazon or Google Play Music and type in The Scots with a U. <laughs> uh, and it'll bring, uh, a lot of people say, like, oh, The Scots. So you're Scottish. Well,
0: if you have a London what? accent, you know. <laughs> 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 it comes out that way, doesn't it? No,
1: it's The Scots. It's The Scots, S-C-U-T-S. And uh, go and listen, on Bandcamp, there is the two uh, releases up there, Gross Profit, which... Um, Kian, uh Cian wrote half that album uh, back when he was in the band uh, put some bangers up there like Cleary's Clock remember that one Kim?
0: I do I do gets an outing once in a while uh, still I hear
1: it does indeed it does indeed uh, and it's one you would be happy to hear it's one of the most popular songs yeah uh, that was played at a wedding I was at <laughs>
0: wedding
1: she played at a wedding
0: warms my there heart
1: there you go uh, right. Kian's legacy lives on
0: we'll wrap it up with that Ali thanks for being on cheers dude so you finished brain. <laughs> You've been listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us in various places online. On Twitter, we are at Strange Ireland. On Facebook, we are Wide Atlantic Weird. And on Instagram, we are Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. However, the most important thing, as always, please get in with those reviews, stars, all those nice things. If you say anything funny or interesting or weird, we will be happy to read it out on the show. So thanks for listening and stay safe.